Folks, good morning, and can I welcome you, as Julie has already done, to our service this morning. If you're visiting with us, we welcome you especially as you join with us in worship. And at this point, I want to tell you what we've been doing over the past number of weeks together as a congregation, as we have been looking at what it means to be a gospel-centered church, a church that has Jesus at the center and who takes Jesus and lives him as a community, but also takes Jesus out into the community in which we find ourselves at work and wherever we live. For those who have been coming week by week going through this series, you know that Christoph and I have got into the habit of recapping with you uh, what we have been looking at. As I was going through the list uh, in preparation this week, the list is getting longer and longer But stick with me as we go through it to remind ourselves what this chain is of what comes together so that we are gospel-centered as a church in the ministry that we do. But as we start, let's come and let's ask for God's help, that He will inspire us and envision us for the work that He has set before us. Let's pray. Almighty God, we gather here today in your presence and in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son, to whom we give praise and glory for what we know as salvation in our own lives. And we thank you that it is a message that is powerful to us. And as we come to think about what it means to share that message, will you help us? Will you lead us? And will you fit us for the tasks that are ahead of us, however you will lead us and guide us? Father God, we ask for your help and your care this morning. Be with us, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So in September, we started thinking about what it means to be a gospel-centered church, starting with that one concept that mission was to be at the center. Sharing the good news of Jesus is the core activity of the church. We moved on to think that mission is for everyone, that we can all show and tell the gospel with the gifts and abilities that we have been given. We then moved on to think that mission has no walls, Mission and church isn't just about what happens on a Sunday morning, but instead spreads out into the week that we live. Mission is without fear. We shouldn't be afraid of failure. We must do our gospel work, do it earnestly, and whatever happens, happens, but we are to keep going and keep trying in whatever we can. And I keep coming back to this even throughout the weeks since it it is better to take gospel initiatives that fail than to fail to take gospel initiatives. Folks, I can't be honest enough with you and say how much that statement itself has sharpened my view of what it means to be missional people. People are to be the priority of our mission. They are to be the priority of our evangelistic activities rather than the structures of our congregation Structures are important for effective ministry, but people must be always the central focus of everything that we do. And then last week, we thought about relationship and partnership. How relationship is the model of evangelism today. How we must be relational with those around us, the people in our streets, the people in our places of work. And we do it in partnership. We do it together. The people around you this morning, 
we do mission together. It's not about a one-man show and a one-man band. It's about doing it together as we are in partnership. So I'm afraid the school teacher has to come out in me and has to ask, did you do any homework since last Sunday morning? The relationships that we were thinking about last Sunday morning, have we done anything to help those grow and develop? Have we encouraged each other in partnership? Because what we say up front is of no use or importance unless we act on it. So let's come and we think today, we flip the coin a little, and we think about what it means for the church to enable its people to do mission. So we come and we think about people being enabled for gospel ministry. How have each of us experienced church? For some of us here, we've been coming to this place of worship for many years, and we've seen its life uh, over the past number of years. We've been here. This is what we've known, Kirkpatrick Memorial Presbyterian Church. For others, you've come from other congregations. You've transferred your membership here, but your, your growth in your Christian faith and your experience of church has been elsewhere. However, we have experienced church. Let me take a minute to share with you how I experienced church, and I would guess that maybe this is something that's similar for us all. My growth as a Christian happened outside of my church. There were God-fearing and faithful people within my home congregation who taught me Sunday school, who taught me kids club, who, who did what they could to grow me. But it was outside of church that I learned what it meant to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And it was for one reason. It was that I was given opportunity to express faith and to actually share faith. Express it with other Christians as we worship together, but also to share it in contexts where people weren't open to hearing it. In church, I was taught the basics, but outside of church, it was taken for me to grow in understanding what I had learned and been taught so that I could know its truth as it was practically lived out. My experience of church was a one-man show. The minister did everything and no one else got an opportunity to play their part in what was the ministry of the church, certainly in any formal way. In our Bible reading this morning, Jesus reflects on what it was like for the community of Israel. These Jewish people, as they desired earnestly to follow God, what it was like for them as they interacted with their leadership. The first thing that Jesus does in Matthew 23 is that he recognizes that the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. We had thought of this in the summer, and we thought that this was the teaching seat that was inherited from Moses. Moses, the teacher of Israel, the one who brought the commandments, the one who taught the people their worship of God, who brought about the structures that would form that community. So they sat in this tradition, this teaching tradition of bringing God's Word to God's people, so that they could live and learn. In our terms, I guess today it would be our ministers and our theologians, those we take our guidance from as they dedicate their time to understanding God's Word and interpreting it for our context and our culture today. 
these people who set aside time so that they can study God's words so that we can know the benefit of their study, as well as understanding ourselves that we can interpret God's word also. So Jesus affirms that this position of the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, it's a good position. But where Jesus takes the issue is the next verse. He quickly moves on. He affirms them, but then he sees what the real issue is. And in our terms, they don't practice what they preach. Obey them and do everything they tell you, Jesus said, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. And here we have one of the charges that has been brought against the church over the centuries. As the world looks in at the church and has looked in at the church, it sees hypocrisy. It sees that the church says one thing and does another. It sees the Christian life as something that is different in terms of what they say and in terms of what they do. It's been the challenge against the church that we do not practice what we preach. So before we think about what it means to be enabled, we must take a moment and think, well, what is the call of the church? And I believe the call of the church is to genuineness. We must be genuine in what we believe and in what we understand the Bible to believe so that we can live it in the lives that we have. If we are to be a gospel-centered church and therefore gospel-centered people, we must be genuine in everything that we do. Everyone who is part of the church, and I don't mean here in Kirkpatrick Memorial alone, but as we join together with that universal church, everyone who is a member of the church of Jesus Christ is to be a witness and an example that Christ affirms. An example of living faith that isn't just good head knowledge, but is also heart knowledge that lives out into every aspect of our lives. It is lived out in our conversations, what we say, and more importantly, what we don't say in our day-to-day conversations. The times when we slip into talking about others in an unhealthy way. What should our conversations be like if we profess Christ and desire to be genuine people? It's worked out or lived out in our work ethic, and not just what we have known in past as the Protestant work ethic, which centers around a culture. No, we are to be the work ethic of Jesus Christ. That is, everything we do is as Jesus has done. A servant attitude, a servant heart, an example that Jesus gave us that we must follow in the world today. And it's about the little things. It's about the little laws that we break, the illegal downloading of music or video content from the internet. And we say, everyone else does it, so why can't I? Rather than going out and paying whatever money it costs in Tesco or WH Smith for a CD or a DVD. Or as I was reminded last night by the passenger in my car and by my satellite navigation system as it flashed at me saying, you're going too fast. Breaking the speed limit the little things. Is this how we are to be living, or are we to be living more like Jesus, who affirmed genuineness and a concern for others as we live? It's about helping the spiritual and physical needy, as we have been commanded to, rather than thinking that it is something good to do, but just sit back and do nothing at all. We are to be genuine. We practice 
what we preach. And this is where Jesus starts. He says, these people who you respect and who you revere, they don't practice what they preach. And he points out three different things. We get the overall sense in all of this that they are stark contrast to Jesus Christ. Because he starts off by saying, sorry, as I find it here, they tie heavy loads and put them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. The commentators have shed light on this verse by suggesting that the Pharisees are doing more harm than good in their teaching. It doesn't mean that these Pharisees are coming up with laws themselves that they're not willing to do, but what they're doing is they're coming up with these burdensome laws that whenever people fall, they're not helping them. They're not doing anything to to move them on in their faith. A stark contrast to what Jesus said in the words, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. These men had sincere attitudes in how they would help people, but when it came to the practical outworking, whenever people fell, they let them fall. There was no care. There was no concern. They were just concerned about themselves rather than others. And he points out the three issues. He says, firstly, everything they do is done for men to see. The essence of the problem with the leaders of the Jewish community is that they are more concerned about what people think and see, and therefore they're interpreted by some form of orthodoxy. So how they look determines how faithful in the faith they are, rather than what was genuine and what was true. They wear their phylacteries, either on their foreheads or on their, uh, their wrists, and they had tassels on their garments that were long. This was publicly showing how close they were in a relationship with God. The phylacteries had four little passages from Scripture that reminded them of the law. And whether it was metaphorical, giving in Deuteronomy or not, we don't know, but this is what they did. They wore these boxes of leather around their heads or their wrists to show how close they were and how true they were to the law. They also were to wear these tassels, and we get this from Numbers chapter 15 where these tassels showed and reminded them to keep the law of God, that all things held together. And so they would wear these tassels, and the bigger the tassel, the bigger the law keeper. So as they walked around, this is what people saw, and this is how people judged them on. So they were more concerned about what people saw and what people thought of them, rather than what was genuine and true. Secondly, Jesus says they love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogue. And they are publicly showing that in society they are the top brass. These are the people who should be respected, who people should give up their seats for, who people should revere and honor. They had missed the whole concept of what leadership was. To lead people didn't put you in a place of priority, but to lead people meant you were with your people as you help them through whatever life had for them. It was about humility rather than exaltation of oneself. And thirdly, they loved to be greeted in the marketplaces and to have men call them rabbi or teacher. And they are publicly showing that they are authority. They are the authority of God and that they cannot be questioned. So these men who were supposed to be the guardians of the community of God were in fact setting themselves up as equal to God rather than bringing God's people through whatever they needed to be brought through. 
And I have to stop and say, there's a huge problem here. And it's a problem for me, and I'm guessing it might be a problem for you. Because as I have read through this, and as I've been mulling it around in my head over the past week, I'm ashamed and afraid to say that it's like holding up a mirror. One of the jokes in, with my colleagues, with my friends, is whether or not we wear a clerical collar. And everyone will have a different opinion on this. And there's part of me wants to wear it because out in the street people will look and people will see. I still have the privilege in my year group of saying that I'm the only one still not to have worn one in public, but it still doesn't get away from my selfish ambition for what I want people to think and what I want people to see. And if that's creeping in more important than what is genuine and what is true in my life and my faith, then I need to do something about it. And that's just one little thing from this list. If we all desire to be genuine, to be God-loving and God-fearing people, we must follow His ways and not the expectations of the world but follow what is true, what is honest, and what is best required of by God, so that we will give Him the honor rather than ourselves. This means that the leaders of our congregation, the ministers, the elders, the committee members, the leaders of our organizations, together as we do what we do week by week in leadership, we must be genuine in how we live our lives we cannot, we cannot afford to, lay, to lead out of selfish ambition and with an attitude that my way is always the right way rather than the idea that we can have together as a community to grow together. We must be open to God's leading in our lives so that we can lead others and enable them to lead in the ministry that we, do, that we desire them to do. With leadership, comes the responsibility first in our own lives and then into the life of the community. And don't think, well, I'm not a leader of an organization. I'm not in Kirk Session. I'm not on the committee. So everything that's just been said in the past 10 minutes, we can forget about. No, because we don't know when we are going to be called to positions of leadership. There is the position of leadership within our own homes. There's the position of leadership in our places of work. There's positions of leadership within society. And if we believe in genuineness, well, then everything of God must filter through into every aspect of our lives. We must be genuine people. We must be people after God's own heart so that we can grow together and we can mature together. So, so far we've been thinking about what leadership looks like. It is leaders who enable people to serve, and together we are called to genuineness as we go forward in service. And once we get this idea of living genuine lives, well, that gives us a freedom. It enables us to serve because we know that we are held accountable to God first and foremost rather than to the judgments of the world around us. So, as a congregation, how do we do this? How do we become genuine people? How do we follow through what we've talked about over the past number of weeks? Partnership, 
relationship, mission at the center, people being a priority. I dare to say this morning that you should expect a lot from your church. And I don't say that lightly or glibly, but I believe, as I've been reading and and looking through some passages of Scripture that we'll come to in a moment, you should expect from your church equipping and enablement to go out and to serve. I said earlier, for me growing up, I was faced with the one-man ministry mentality. It was a catch-22 situation because the minister had set himself up as the only one who could provide ministry and pastoral care to people. But the congregation instilled that expectation, mainly through the argument that the minister was there and paid to do the job, that the minister was expected to do everything. So not only had he set himself up in this position, but the people expected it. The challenge that Jesus gives us in Matthew 23 is that people were not being led effectively, so therefore they were not being released to fulfill their responsibility as God's people. And we have to go to Paul to think about this a little bit more and to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 of what is expected of God's people. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we get this wonderful picture of the body of Christ. Everybody has its parts made up to complete this image that God has made us. And this is what the picture of the church is like. And in verse 27, now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is part of it. There's no exception. No one is exempt from this body. We all have our part to play. So there is an expectation in church that we are made up together for God's purpose. That as we meet here week by week, or wherever you meet week by week, we are one body. We're not running off and and doing this, that, and the other, but together we come and are unified in the mission that God has for us. We do mission together. Everyone is to be engaged in what we're doing. We're to be engaged in the worship of the church and also in the ministry of the church. I wonder what our thinking of church is. Tim Chester and Steve Timmis, who wrote the book Gospel Center Church, write this about the church. No longer do we have a leader who reveals the will of God, the prophet. Now Jesus reveals the Father to us through his word and spirit. No longer do we have an intermediary who offers sacrifices on our behalf and intercedes for us, the priest. Now Jesus is our great high priest and the lamb who was slain. Through him we each have access to the Father. No longer do we have someone ruling over us in God's place, the King. Now God himself rules over each one of us through Christ, whom he has made Lord of all and Lord of of the church. As we think of church, and this is what liberates church, no one rules over the body of Christ. It is Christ and Christ alone who rules the church. Therefore, our direction and our calling is taken from Christ. As we think of leadership in the church, we should recognize that it is not an office, it is not a title, but leadership is a function. Therefore, we should expect the church that each member of the body will be trained and given opportunity to serve and to lead. 
Ephesians 4 verses 11 to 13 reminds us that some have uh, been given by Christ to be pastors and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Each one has gifts, and some have been set aside for, for other gifts of teaching and leading, but for one purpose to build up the body of Christ. Serving and being enabled to serve is part of our journey of faith. That's how it was for me. Sometimes I do have to wonder how I got to this point. But when I reflect on what God has done in my life and taking me through and given me opportunities to serve and to witness, to grow in faith with other believers, it becomes clear that it is God who's in the driving seat. It is God who fixes everything together in what is known as history, in what is present, and what is future, so that we will be equipped and ready for whatever He has for us. It is His people maturing together and being unified in the faith as they work together, and as we depend on God to sustain us with whatever the difficulties or through whatever the difficulties and are in our lives. So how do we do that here? In Kirkpatrick Memorial Presbyterian Church, how are we training you? How are we enabling you and releasing you to serve? And I had to think about this, and I came up with four areas that certainly I want to share with you this morning. I don't expect there are others that we can share in, but four for us to think about right here and right now. I don't know if you read the bulletin or the update that comes out every month, and there's a job finder in it. Can you serve within our congregation? Hospitality, and the welcome team, providing tea and coffee afterwards, helping with sound and vision, helping with music, the things that we do on a Sunday morning or perhaps Sunday club, Bible class, boys brigade, girls brigade, Christian Endeavor, Youth Fellowship, other organizations that month by month we see we need leaders for. Can you serve? Can you take these opportunities of service as God commands us to do within the workings of our congregational life? Well, what about what we've discovered through church community and change? These target areas that we have a focus of ministry and gospel outreach to a nursing home, to uh, families around our church building, helping people from other communities and other uh, religious faiths. Can we be involved in these groups? Because if you can, join them. There'll be more information in the November update that'll come out next week about what all is all going to be happening. But can you join these groups? Can you give up an hour or two of your week to go into this community and to serve and the training, the training for these church community and change groups or these outreach groups that we'll now have in Faith Academy that starts on the 7th of November on Sunday evenings. Come and be trained. Never say that we didn't prepare you for whatever the ministry was, but come and join groups that together will think about how we do the specific ministry that we have been challenged to do. Or come and learn theology. Think a little bit of 
Heart of Faith Academy about what it means or what God's Word means, thinking through some of the key issues of our faith as we look at Christian beliefs. Or if we are those in our congregation who lead small groups, well, Christoph sent out the email that it's compulsory, but come and be trained on how to do that, to better, better equip our people in the knowledge of God's Word. So opportunities through our mission outreach, not only doing it, but learning and training together. Come. We enjoyed Faith Academy earlier this year. Come back and learn some more about what it means to serve God in these different ways. What about Christianity Explored? You've heard it mentioned a few weeks in a row now. We want to be able to release you to go to Christianity Explored. It's at 11 o'clock on a Sunday morning, and if your brain's doing the calculations, you'll realize that's the same time as our church service. I've discovered in church circles there's an awful lot of guilt whenever we're not here at 11 o'clock on a Sunday morning. But be free to go next door, to go into the coffee shop and be part of this wonderful engagement with God's Word that teaches us who Jesus Christ is and how He impacts our lives today. And bring someone along. Be free to go with them and sit with them and learn with them so that they too can catch a glimpse of who Jesus Christ is. And I hope, I hope that as many here serve outside of these walls, whether it be through work opportunities, we have Shirley overseas and we have Ruth in India as well, just these few weeks, those who do teams, outreach teams, camps and missions, those who help with other congregations in Boys Brigade and other things, please be encouraged that we join with you as you serve, that not only do we keep you in here, but we are delighted to send you to wherever God is calling you, whether it's in local mission or mission overseas. We thought last week that we do this together. It's not about us up front telling you what you need to do, but it's also about the leadership of this congregation providing a way for you to do the work that God has called you to. This is a partnership. Not only do we partner with each other, but ultimately we partner with God. So I encourage you, take advantage of what is being offered. Enjoy it and go out with the confidence that only God can give. We're going to finish off. How can we sum all this up? How can we put it together by what it looks like? I guess as I think from a relatively new perspective coming into church life in Kirkpatrick, I think from the experience that I've had in other congregations, we're not too bad in what we offer and the opportunities that are here. So the two things, if we are in leadership, it is not about a title it is not about what we think we can do, but it's about enabling others to serve. This is leadership at every level, from Kirk Session right through to the leaders of our organizations who week by week are at the cold face of working with others to share the gospel message. If we're not letting you lead and giving you opportunity, let us know because we want to slot you in and we want to fit you in and we want to enable you to grow in service by giving you opportunity to serve in our organizations. 
by giving you opportunity to grasp hold of where God is leading you. Secondly, as a church, we must be facilitating your service in releasing you to serve and in training you as best we can for your service. If we're not doing this, you need to let us know. But can I encourage you not to just sit back and just let it all pass you by, but can I encourage you to grasp it, to take advantage of it, to go and do, enjoy and go into this world and share the message. And together, yes, we'll train together, but we'll also be unified together, and we will mature together as we are the body of Christ. I am encouraged by how God has led our leaders and the opportunities that he has given us to bring glory to his name in this place and in this community. Can you see it? Can you see what God has been doing, the greatness that he has been revealing through his works? If so, take every opportunity to be people who are gospel-centered in everything that we do. Let's pray.